thank you guys again for supporting the podcast. In case you guys didn't know, I'm really trying to work on growing my social media presence, either on Instagram and on Twitter. So make sure you guys give me a follow over there of at Jason Hill is both handles. It's also in the show description. It's a quick way to link over. This is the best way to also ask me about questions or topics you would like future podcasts on. Also, if you haven't already, make sure you check out the YouTube channel. It has a lot of these topics just in video format. It's just another medium for you guys to check it out. And so that is a good way to also get some jujitsu help. So thank you guys again, and I'll see you guys later. What is going on, guys? Welcome into another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Secrets Podcast. Hopefully you guys are having a good week so far. You had a good weekend whenever you're listening to this, and we're going to jump right into it right now. So what I want to get into today is talking about something that I call the abilities audits of your jujitsu. So the last couple episodes, I've really talked a lot about this thing called the training environment. I've also talked about um, how to start problem solving in your jujitsu. And so those are very good uh, things to continue to do inside of your jujitsu. But Still, I'm always trying to find ways to help students find that direction and gain that clarity that I think is so um, weak in most jiu-jitsu areas. Often we are just told that students just need to kind of keep showing up and good things will start to happen, when in reality, for a lot of people, that is terrible advice and that does not make people feel more secure or confident in jiu-jitsu. And so if you're ultimately, if that advice works for you, absolutely amazing and you won't need this stuff and you're going to be a black belt and you're never going to have problems. But for people who are uh, not as secure that way or they're looking for that direction or they're looking for that clarity, this type of stuff is very valuable for them because ultimately the more people that stay on the mats, the longer people will stay in jujitsu, they can spread the word and grow the art as a whole. So that's kind of what I'm here for and being able to do. So this is going to be a multiple part um, series I'm going to start for you guys here. So this is going to be the first part, an introduction to what I call the abilities audit. So what are the abilities audit and, and what does that even mean? Well, essentially it's an assessment or a breakdown of your current jujitsu kind of skill set and abilities. So it is well, the first thing I start doing with students whenever I start working with them or I start coaching them or I start developing them is I want to get a good sense of where their jujitsu is at currently. So it would not make any sense for me to start coaching you if you were standing in front of me, if I knew nothing about you. And this is maybe one of the only somewhat benefits to having a belt rank or a belt uh, promotion is it communicates to the outside public or someone who doesn't know you an assumed amount of information, an assumed amount of knowledge, an assumed amount of skill. So when I see somebody with a blue belt, to me, that tells me, oh yeah, they probably know the basic positions. They probably know a few escapes. They probably know some submissions, but that's about it. It's not really a clear communication of one's abilities, right? So it would be almost ridiculous of me to recommend which techniques that you need to work on or which skill sets you should start to acquire or study first when I know nothing about you, right? And so this is what I have my own students do whenever they are really starting to work with me because it's going to help them and it also helps me. 
One of the biggest reasons why I make my students do this and why they need to participate in it is because this is actually a quote from John Danaher, who's one of the most well-known jiu-jitsu coaches. He says, the most powerful moments you guys will have on the mats are the discoveries that you will make for yourself. And that's absolutely true. And so what I'm trying to do for students is I'm trying to give them an outline or a framework so they can follow so those discoveries can be more prominent. They can be discovered faster. And that way you can attach to them and actually do something with them. And that is the key that we want moving forward. So where does this abilities audit take place? Well, majority of the time it's going to happen inside of your training environment. Now, I did a whole episode talking about the training environment and the benefit of the environment. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that. But essentially, I think that this activity is best done inside of your training environment, which is your school or the academy or the gym that you train out of, right? Whether that's a hole in the wall or a world-class academy or whatever. And the reason why I like the training environment and not like a competition environment is because the training environment is going to be where you have spent 99% of your time actually training and practicing jujitsu. And honestly, it's just going to be better quality data if we want to kind of go that route of a statistician or like a, a statistics person. Um, we're just going to have better data. You're, you're spending more time there. Most people, especially when I start working with them, because I don't, I, I really work with more average everyday people who are not, you know, I'm, I don't mean that in a bad way. They're, they're very motivated and they're dedicated and they want to be the most that they can in jujitsu. But a lot of times they haven't done any competition. So I have no, there, there's nothing else that we can draw from beside, you know, how they're doing inside their training environment. So that is where this is going to take place. So if you guys imagine like a box, right, and it has the training environment square, this is actually taking place inside of your environment. So I'm going to lay out the abilities audit and then we're going to really narrow in on one aspect of it today. So there are four components to the abilities audit, right? And this is a framework that you can follow. The first part is what I call rolling research. The second part is what I call the technique assessment. And the third part is called problem review. And then the fourth part is that we want to train. Right now, here is what is cool. Once you can kind of master this framework or understand this framework and you get really good at doing this at times, you won't have to do all four to be able to get to the um, end product. Right. So, for example, whenever your jujitsu is sucking, okay, you could do this abilities audit and you could say, oh, I need to do rolling research. And then that is like a tool, that is an assignment, that is an assessment, that's an exercise that you could do to potentially find out why your jiu-jitsu is sucking. And it's an activity that you could do till the end of your jiu-jitsu career. It's something I still literally do till this day. Then you could say, oh, well, do I need to go do a technique assessment? That's just another option that you should be able to do. And then you could say, oh, do I need to do a problem review? That's another option. That's another activity. And then obviously training is, is another activity. So usually... In order for you to stop sucking or in order for you to start improving faster or improving to solve a problem, it's one of those four things are going to be the solution, right? So you either need to do rolling research, you either need to do a technique assessment, you either need to do a problem review, or you need to train. Now, a lot of times you have to do multiple things, but what I, the reason why uh, there are four separate ones is because sometimes the solution to the problem is not just training. You have to figure out why that problem actually exists and figure out what area you need before you start training. 
Sometimes the answer is just training. Sometimes the problem is that you are, uh, you're just not refined enough in a technique and you need to keep hammering that technique technique home. So you do just train. So these are basically like little levers or little uh, buttons that you can push in order to start improving um, in the way that you want. But you just have to learn how to use each button, I guess, if you call it that or if you want to associate it with that. So today, what I want to talk about is more of the rolling research aspect. I think it's the most powerful thing. I think it's the best one. I think it's the most detailed. But the problem is it's the most work. Um, that's just to, to be the honest truth. It's the most work and it's the most frustrating and it takes the most time and really it doesn't take that long. It takes like three individual training sessions, but it requires discipline. It requires focus and it requires commitment on the part of the student. And it requires you to be attention oriented. So if you are none of those things, this is not going to be great for you. <laughs> but like I said, this is a, a skill set that's developed also over time. So what is rolling research? Well, rolling research is basically you are inside of your training environment, right? Your academy, and you are sparring and you're rolling or grappling against live resistance. And our goal is to take in as much information as possible. And then we're going to review that. And then we're going to come to a conclusion about if we need what areas we need to work on, if what we're doing is actually working, or if we need to make some changes, or if we need to adapt or adjust, right? So this is the benefit to the rolling research. Now you can do this for two reasons. I recommend that this is the first, the reason why it's the first episode of, of this series is because it's the first thing I have every student do. It's a starting point. A lot of times students have a hard time making decisions and they don't know where to start. I'm telling you right now where to start. <laughs> okay. So if you have no idea and you're feeling lost and you have no direction and you're not feeling like you're on the right path or you're unclear about what you should be doing, I'm telling you, here is step one, do this, the next training session you guys go into. And what you'll do is you're going to do your rolling research to figure out a good starting point. Now, you could also do this in a way to um, measure success. So this is also why I have students do it, because it's going to do two things. Number one, it's going to assess your jujitsu and it's going to build us metrics to compare to again when we come back to it in the future, right? So I'll talk about that more whenever we get to that part. But most students have no idea what, about what really what their jiu-jitsu looks like and they have no metrics to compare it to. And that's why they use competition. They use competition because it's a very easy way to say, oh, I did good in this competition or I did bad in this competition. And I just don't think that that's the best quality. I think that's where you spend very little time. It's not a true assessment of your actual jiu-jitsu. I think the gym provides a more valuable um, data for us to get going and to get started. So that is the biggest benefit to doing it inside of the the training uh, the training environment and why we're going to start there and why I recommend the rolling research first. The other reason why we want to do it against live uh, training is because that's a form of resistance, right? So when you guys are drilling or you're just practicing inside of the academy environment, it is not uh, resistance basically, right? There is mild to little resistance and we want to see, um, we want to get a true picture, no matter how ugly the picture is or how bad your painting is. We want to get an accurate representation because we don't want to run from our problems. We want to identify them much sooner and then be able to solve them. I always tell students that like, if you're getting tapped, like, uh, you know, 30 times in five minutes, that is the best 
thing ever because there is so much gold in there. There are so many things that we need to work on that it should be very easy to see fast improvement. I actually think it's much harder to train a student who dominates everybody and has so much success and is so, um, you know, just killing everybody because it's like almost hard to coach them and hard to improve them because I'm like, man, I don't even know what you need to work on. You're killing it against everybody. You're doing great. Just continue to do what you're doing. And they're like, okay. And there's not really much coaching that goes on. But when you have a million different problems, that is all like gold mine, gold mine, gold mine, gold mine, gold mine. So if anything, hopefully this switches your mindset to that, right? Problems are a good thing. So what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to figure out these problems or these issues or do this assessment in that live training aspect, right? And so what we have to understand is I'm going to teach you guys a little bit about what I call the jujitsu hierarchy because we're going to use that to help guide our rolling research. So the jujitsu hierarchy is basically made up of three mini hierarchies, I guess, if you want to call it that, um, to make up one bigger hierarchy. So you think about it like a pyramid, um, at the very, very top or the king of all of the, uh, hierarchy sections is going to be the submission section. And it's the submission section because it's the fight ending. It's the thing that ends a jujitsu match. It's the thing that is the best. It's the most dominant, right? So at the end of the day, even if you've been dominated the entire round, but you can pull off a submission and the guy taps, you still win, right? So it's the king. It's the most dominant. Then in the middle, we have the top section. And when I say top, I mean top position, top control, uh, top aspects and top skills, right? And then at the very, uh, the last part is going to be the bottom position and the bottom skills and the bottom techniques, right? So you have a pyramid there. Um, so that is how we're actually going to do our rolling research. We are wanting to assess our abilities inside of each of these hierarchies moving forward, right? And so the submission section is by far the hardest one because it is the most friction, right? And in the last episode, I did talk about this, what I call friction scale a little bit, right? But I'm just going to recap it for some of us that maybe didn't hear that episode or are newer here. So the friction scale is essentially... Um, the easy to hard. So if something is high friction, that means it's very difficult to do in training. It's very challenging to do. And if it's a uh, low friction, it's, it's much easier to do in training. So the submission section is the most friction. So it's at the top of the hierarchy, but it's also the most friction. So think about it. You don't accidentally just fall into a triangle one day right? You don't accidentally just arm lock somebody one day, or you don't just accidentally choke somebody on your first day of training. No, you have to develop skill and it takes time. And so that's why it is the most friction. It's the hardest thing to do in jujitsu or hardest thing to do in training. The, the low friction area is going to be the bottom hierarchy because it's the easiest thing to do in training. It, it's easy doesn't matter if you're a black belt or you're a brand new white belt. It is easy to train the bottom because you can put yourself there voluntary or involuntary. So if you're a white belt and you're training with all upper belts, you know, people are going to be able to jump on top of you and they're going to force you into those bad positions, whether you want to be there or not. Right. So that is why I call it the uh, friction scale. So I actually like to flip this hierarchy upside down and turn it into a funnel. If you guys are really enjoying this podcast, I'd greatly appreciate it if you left me some reviews, maybe some five stars, whether you're listening to this on 
Audible, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Make sure you guys leave this five stars, leave some nice words. Also share it with a friend. You know, I don't charge anything for these podcasts and my goal is just to grow it and help the jiu-jitsu community. So thank you guys for supporting and I'll see you guys later. So I always recommend when students start training or they start prioritizing where their attention should be placed, it should be on the lowest friction area possible because that creates less stress and it creates a, an easier uh, way for them to be more realistic in training. So often students have poor goals and they've not set realistic goals for themselves in jujitsu. And this is because they have a wrong, uh, I say wrong, I think they have a difficult viewpoint. They're thinking about getting to the top of the mountain. They're thinking about getting to the submissions because that is the coolest thing in jujitsu. And it's the thing that's preached to you the most, you know, get on top, hold them down, control them, look for the finish and go for it. And also if you're in a competition environment, that is what's bred in you as well too. But the problem with that is, is that you're trying to skip and you're trying to race and you're missing past all the importance of the other um, hierarchies and the other aspects of jujitsu that help you climb to that submission moving forward, right? Or to that submission hierarchy moving forward, you're basically not focusing on the key skills that help you get to the submissions quicker, right? So we want to flip that upside down. And personally, I think focusing on lower friction to higher friction is the key in jujitsu. So you want to focus on the bottom, the top, and then the submission moving forward. And so what you want to do is when it comes to our rolling research is we're going to dedicate three separate training sessions to assessing how we perform inside of each of those hierarchy sections. So that is what we're going to be doing um, in this first episode here or this first series is we're going to be talking about the first one moving forward. So this one, this episode might be a little bit longer than the other ones because I had to lay out that whole framework and idea for what you guys were going to do. So that means that we're going to start in the bottom section of the jujitsu hierarchy, right? So what you're going to do is you're going to take the next training session, your very next one, and your goal is to spend as much time in the bottom of the hierarchy section without trying to escape, without trying to submit, without really trying to um, exit out of that position uh, as fast as you can. And so what I mean by that is that I want you to be collecting and paying attention to what is happening to you and what are the common things that you do. So if, for example, if you notice that you're playing guard retention and someone is hitting you with a specific pass and you realize what pass it is and you realize how they're doing it and you realize that you're not very good at defending it, that is a gold mine of information. If you realize how someone is actually achieving the mount or even what submissions they're catching you in, that is a gold mine of information because those are problems that we can start solving much quicker. And so you want to see how you commonly try to escape. You want to see how people are commonly trying to defend. You want to see what are the common things that you are doing um, like automatically. People a lot of times don't realize what they're doing until they have to be paid attention to it. And if you need evidence of this, set set up a video camera and record your guys' self-rolling. I think often students think that they do much better or they look much better or they know more than they actually do. And then when they watch themselves on film, they're like, holy crap, 
I do not look like that. I miss so many things and I don't know why my hand went there. I don't even know why my face did that. And it is amazing um, tool to make people come to realization. Um, Jiu-Jitsu people are stubborn and you guys are impatient and you guys don't like doing self-reflection. That's just what it is. I'm sorry. It's just part of part of what it is. And so when students can come to the realization that you're not as good as you think you are or that you have more problems than you would like to admit and your jujitsu is still sucking, they, they don't want to uh, resonate with that fact. They just like are like, ah, no, I'm better than that. I don't need to focus on those things. Uh, OK, cool. Go for it, I guess. So um, set yourself up a video camera and see those things. So you if you can do this activity while you're video cameraing, man, that's just even more of a gold mine of information. And so really what you're doing is you're establishing, um, uh, assessing how you're performing in the bottom hierarchy. And like I said, you're also collecting important metrics. So that way, whenever you guys go to develop your plan in the future and you've made improvements, you can compare and do this exercise again and, and see how much you have improved, right? And that is the benefit to doing this. Um, so I would definitely say that this exercise is going to be more what I would call defensive minded. Um, you're more thinking about trying to escape the positions. You're more trying to defend the positions and you're more trying to survive in these positions. You're not really trying to do much offense. The only offense that I kind of recommend students do when they do this exercise is um, maybe some sweeps because sweeping is a key component to being in the bottom. It's really the main offensive thing outside of submissions um, that happen in the bottom position. Majority of the offensive things happen on top, like guard passing controls and most of the attacks, um, like I said, outside of submissions happen in the top positions. So we want to mainly assess kind of your defensive abilities um, in this, right? Um, and so you could be defending submissions. You could assess your ability to defend different submissions. So you're wanting to basically stay as much in the bottom position as possible. So for example, what I tell students is that if you're going to roll for five rounds and then you're going to roll, um, you know, each round is five minutes. So five times five is 25 minutes. I want you to spend 25 minutes in the bottom position. Right. So that means if I get mounted and I escape in the first 10 seconds, I need to find a way to put myself back in the bottom. Right. If you want a checklist to be able to do, go through the core main positions of the bottom, see how you can escape the mount, see how you can escape side control, see how you can allow somebody see if you can escape the back mount, go through a checklist of the most common positions throughout all of your rounds that night and just see how you do. Um, most of the time when I give this people, when I give this exercise to people, they've never heard of this or they've never done this or they've never intentionally done it. It's much different to be in the bottom involuntarily, basically not by choice and purposely stay there and see what happens to you and experience it and collect as much information than being in it for two seconds in, uh, basically where you didn't want to be there or when you do want to be there. And, uh, and, and not get as much information, right? So most people, when they get put in the bottom positions, even if it's involuntarily, they try to get out as fast as they can. And once again, that's bred by a lot of competition that's bred by maybe some coaching. Um, I'm the complete opposite, especially when we're doing assessing, I want to assess, I got to have you in that position. There's no way I could get accurate representation of what, you know, if you're not in that position. 
right? So you guys have to spend time in a position if you want to get good at it, or you have to spend time trying something if you want to get good at it. That's just the only only way. There's there's no other way around it. That's why jujitsu is very hard to get good at because there's so many positions. There's so many uh, complicated techniques and principles and concepts that you have to cover that it takes time. You can't accomplish everything in one day. So we have to figure out what is your jujitsu totally look like before we can identify and make priorities about what you guys need to be focusing on first. So you want to do this rolling research. Like I said, you want to spend all of your rounds the next night training being in the bottom positions if possible. So you're going to do this on one night. The next night you would do the top hierarchy and then the next night you would do the submission hierarchy and we'll t- and I'll talk about those give you guys some suggestions and and ideas in another podcast that I'll have coming up in the next series for you guys right so right now is mainly going to be the bottom hierarchy that's what I want you guys to mainly focus on now your assignment after you have completed the round essentially is if you videotape great that's that's probably the most powerful thing you can do But then the next thing is that you have to record what happened. Okay. You guys have to get into the habit of taking notes. Um, Often when students say that they feel like that they're not progressing or they feel like they're not improving or they don't know if they are a very, very, very simple solution that is actually very easy and doesn't take a lot of time is taking notes is, is recording what happens because then you can go back and compare and see, oh man, I used to suck at escaping the mount. And if I rated my mount escapes like a one out of 10, and now I'd rate them a three out of a 10, that's a clear indication that you have improved. And so when you're having self-doubts and you're being self-critical and you're not sure if you're on that right path, you can look down at your notes and say, man, yeah, I am. And that is a way to get some external validation outside of just competition or outside of a stripe or outside of a promotion, which I think is very important to be able to do. And so also we're going to come back to this data later. You don't want to rely on your brain just to remember everything, right? That's just weakness. You don't want to do that. You just use the tools that are around you. You can take notes on pen and paper, the old school way you could take Um, uh, uh, you could type them up on like a Google drive. You could type up notes in your phone, right? So there are a bunch of ways that you guys could do that. Um, I personally like to do the Google drive thing because I like to connect my notes together in an easy way. Um, notebooks are good too. It stores them all in one spot, but you kind of have to flip through a bunch of pages over time when you guys get good at it. So, um, that is your assignment. And so what are you trying to record, right? This is often where I see students have like a big issue whenever they're writing down stuff or they don't know what to take notes on. What you're really trying to pay attention to is not what happens every single round. It's almost impossible that if you rolled for five rounds to remember everything that happened from all five rounds, you're just trying to pick up on certain patterns and take away big takeaways. I could say if you could take away three to five big takeaways, that is amazing. And that big takeaway is going to be much different for a white belt or a blue belt than it's going to be for a purple or a brown belt. And that's okay. A big takeaway for a white belt might just be discovering how they were being put in the bottom of the mount and they realized, man, that this guy kept doing this or I kept getting caught in this submission. That's a big takeaway. 
for a brown belt, it might be that they figured out that the reason why they were struggling to get an underhook was because their hips just were slightly in the wrong position, right? So the the takeaways start to evolve over time. So you're just trying to record three or four, uh, three to five really big takeaways that you can have. Um, and then I would just rate your overall performance or your feeling from that bottom hierarchy. So if you did that scale of one to 10 or one to five, whichever one you want to use, then you could say, how did you feel defending in the bottom position? How did you feel surviving? How did you feel escaping? How did you feel um, doing sweeps or doing the offensive side? So you could kind of give yourself an overall rating of the bottom position. And now you have something to go back and compare to later and you have a way to look at it. So we're going to be doing this for all for all three of the hierarchy sections. And guess what? The one that you probably feel the worst in or based upon where you're at in your journey, that's going to help you guys prioritize maybe which techniques or which skills you should be focusing on developing first. We can't just focus on one section without the information from the others. So that's going to go ahead and wrap up this episode of the podcast. Hopefully you guys are liking this stuff. Hopefully you're furiously taking notes. You can listen back to this again. Um, Yeah. And with that being said, I will see you guys in the next one. If you are a jiu-jitsu student that feels like you're lacking clarity and direction and you want to go from feeling unsure if you're on this right path to really building a personalized strategy so that way you can feel more secure and confident in your training decisions. That way you're creating this assurance that you will be able to accomplish both your short and long-term goals in jiu-jitsu and just really be the most that you can be. You would probably be a great candidate to work with me in my jiu-jitsu acceleration program. It's invite only. You have to be accepted into it. Um, Anyone can join from white belts all the way to black belts. I have all different belt ranges that are in it. And if you guys are interested in that and you're wanting that personalized strategy and you're wanting that direction, then make sure you head over to my website at www.chasonhill.com and we can get you guys enrolled and moving forward.